And so this morning we're coming out of Joshua, Joshua 4, 1 through 7, 20 through 24. I'm going to read the first seven verses and then I'm going to give you the, the little sandwich of what's in between and then we'll go on and read 20 through 24. This is Joshua 4, 1 through 7 and 20 through 24. It's in your Bibles. It's on the screen. It might be on your phone or however you carry your Bible with you now. So read along with me as we hear the word for today. When the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, select 12 men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them, take 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in a place where you camp tonight. And then Joshua summoned the 12 men from the Israelites whom he had appointed, one from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, one for each of the tribes of the Israelites, so that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and so these stones shall be to the Israelites a memorial forever. And so kind of the story in between, and before we move into verse 20, is that, well, they did, they did that. They did what was expected of them, took the stones to the place where they camped. The people crossed over in front where the priest of where the Ark of the Lord of the Covenant was, where the priest crossed in front of them as they came sense that there was about 40,000 uh, warriors armed for battle once they got over into Jericho. Now that's just the armed warriors. So this was not just a few people that crossed over the Jordan. This was probably hundreds of thousands of people. And so I don't even know how long that must have taken, but when the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan, and it says that the soles of their feet were on dry ground, then the Jordan, the waters returned to the Jordan and to the place where they, it says they overflowed their banks as before. And so the people, it says they came up uh, out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the fourth month, and then they camped in Gilgal, which, was, which is kind of east of Jericho. So we'll resume back in, in uh, verse 20. The 12 stones, which they had taken out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal, saying to the Israelites, when your children ask their parents in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel crossed over the Jordan where here on dry land, and for the Lord your God dried up the water of your Jordan for you until you crossed over, as the Lord your God did the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we crossed over. And so all, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, this narrative in Joshua, it's a climactic, it's one of the climactic events in biblical history. The Israelites had waited for how long, how long did they wander around? About 40 years, right? But now is the time, and the time had come. So it's a poignant moment as they stride across that riverbed to the Jordan, opened up for them by the miraculous power of God. 
behind them. They leave behind that, those wearying decades of meandering around in that barren wilderness and those tragic memories of countless funerals of an entire generation of people who would not trust God's promises. You remember? Slavery in Egypt and the bare survival of nomadic life have become bygone experiences to them now. A new and a welcome chapter opens up before them. Before them lays a land richer than their dreams, more fruitful than their hopes, and more beautiful than their imaginations. Now it is theirs by God's steadfast promise. So it must have felt surreal standing there in Canaan. You know, it's kind of like, I, I try to, you know, like when you buy your, your, your home, your first house maybe, or a, a car that you never thought you would get, and you, you buy it and you get into it and you close the door behind you and you just kind of sit there for one second and you're like, man. You know, and you just have to, you find yourself in a moment where you're just, you have a little bit of an emotional sore. Now, it may be because you just spent way too much money, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, it's, it is a surreal feeling almost. It takes a while for you to, to just remember that it's just yours. And so to, and can you imagine to be the fulfillment, they were the fulfillment of an ancient promise to Father Abraham. How overwhelming that must have been to them. You know, so their joy was magnified even more by recent events. It says that they arrived at the Jordan, they found it kind of at flood stage. And uh, we assume that because it says the waters were over the banks. And, and as I looked it up, I was like, when was it exactly? They say the 10th day of the first month, and we, we think maybe January. Well, it's really kind of more like April. And so all of the mountains were melting by this time, and the runoff were coming in, and it was menacing in speed. It was dangerous for what it concealed, jungle-like growth covering the rapid currents, you know, and it just left them, well, kind of stuck. The river was impassable to them. And it was, crossing was just going to be impossible. God did what he does. He intervened. He performed a miracle that paralleled the miracle of the exodus from Egypt. He rolled back those waters of the Jordan just like he rolled back that Red Sea. He meant what he had said to Moses before. Here, here was his signature again in the same way to assure his people that he was good to his word. You know, and I imagine that there were songs and there was just shouts of joy as God's people worshipped and exalted him. But there's an important act that calls for our attention this morning. It's where I'd like to camp on for a bit. And it, when Israel crossed over, God gave Joshua some pretty specific instruction, didn't he? He said, after the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua and said, Choose twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, take twelve stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priest's feet are standing and carry them with you. Set them down in the place where you're going to spend the night. And so Joshua did exactly as he was told and he selected those 12 men and they went to the riverbed to bring back those 12 stones. Stones, you know, that at one point, if you think of it, were buried. They were unreachable. They were covered by the challenge of their faith, that flood, that impassable river, and now those stones, because of God, are divinely accessible. Twelve men hoisted those stones onto their shoulders. Now, these aren't little, little rocks you, you can carry in your hand and walk up the riverbank with. 
these, these men hoisted them onto their shoulders. These rocks probably were boulders in our imagination and weighed probably 100 pounds, if not more. If you've ever tried to pick up a boulder that you would have to put on your shoulder and carry, you know, it's a mass and it's hard. And they were stacked there, an unmistakable marker to the very place where God had demonstrated his power to overcome any obstacle to his will. You know, these, these particular, these rocks that they stacked up, you know, look, might look something like this. I tried to, uh, to get just what perhaps maybe something like that, but probably more likely, although that could be it, and that could be standing today somewhere over there around the River Jordan, but more likely it's thought that they're stacked in like a small pile at the bottom and it kind of stacks up to the top. You can't really see the rocks that I have stacked up here, I'm told. When you come up and pass by, you can take a look, but there's some rocks, you know, big at the bottom and kind of stacked to the top. That's probably more like it looks, but either way, whether it looked like that or whether it looked like this, rocks just don't naturally stack themselves, right? They just don't do it. So it draws people's attention. And there would come a day when Israel's children would ask for an explanation to that phenomenon. And here's the answer that God wants the next generation to know. He said, tell them the story. Tell them the story. It's how the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And God says, this is so, he said, this is so. All the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty and so that you may always fear, and I can print these here, fear, love, revere, worship the Lord your God. So this is what happens when the impossible meets the promises of God. This is the outcome when the improbable comes up against the glorious riches of Christ our King, of Christ Jesus. So stones, what do, what do we make? of these. You know, well, big or small, you know, they remind me, uh, and I love them. I love a stone. I love a rock. Uh, big or small, they remind me of places that I have journeyed, of memories of, of uh, gardens past. I have rocks that I have carried with me on every move. Uh, I gather them as I travel. I have them from my mother's garden, from my mother-in-law's garden. I have them from friends, and I have you know, rocks that are shaped like hearts. I look for them whenever I'm walking anywhere. Heart-shaped rocks will immediately go into my pocket and then into a bowl that I have at my house. I like anything of the earth, really. I love seed pods, I love stones, I love shells, driftwood, all those things. Do you have an idea of what my house looks like now? Just littered? <laughs> You know, and so I, I had the great blessing of, of going to Israel more than once, and I have got from the Valley of Eli, where tradition says David slayed Goliath, I have five rocks that are just right for putting in a sling. I've been to the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. I have rocks from all those places. You know, they identify things for me. But probably for the m most part, when I look on these rocks, I look and see just the power of God in creation and how God is just in everything around us. God is the strength, the provision, the grace, and his presence in my life. And, you know, this last summer, Ronnie and I traveled to Maine. We, we hopped in a car and just drove all up and down the Bay Coast of Maine, and it's just amazing. But what we learned kind of about Maine was that there's just, there's just a lot of rock. There's a lot of rock in Maine, and pretty much the foundations of everything is bedrock. It's just rock. So we were hiking in Acadia National Forest one day, and <laughs> don't be impressed, it was a short hike, and we, you know, were climbing up a mountain, and 
we did it so we could say that we did. And so the, the paths there are not like trodden paths that you see where you can tell this is where the path is and there's no, you know, like there might not be vegetation growing in it and then there's vegetation over here. It's just rock expanse. We're on the, on the top of this mountain. And so we came to a place where it just kind of widened out and it was cut just rolling solid rock. And we were like, hmm, do we go this way or do we go this way? Literally, we had, and we could tell we weren't going forward. There was kind of a cliff rock up there, and we, we weren't going to do that. We're far too young for that. And so we began to look, and then we noticed right there on the ground was a stack of three rocks, just right on top of each other. Stack, rocks don't stack naturally. And so we took that as a sign. <laughs> we didn't know, but we took that as a sign that this is the way we were supposed to go. And so we went that way, figuring we wouldn't get too lost. I mean, it is a park, you know, eventually we'll find a road. But we did, we went that way. And, and that was exactly, it seems, the way we were supposed to go. What we learned after that, when my brother and sister-in-law came down, they happened to be in Maine at the same time, that that's called a cairn. Now that's C-A-I-R-N. And a cairn, is, is what they use to mark those trails. And so I looked it up, that's, an, that's a Gaelic term. Uh, apparently uh, the, it was first coined by the Scots who used it to mark trails across grass covered kind of hilly landscapes. They were kind of a pile of rocks and they used them to mark routes to safety, to food and to villages. And so Cairn, that was our learning uh, on our trip to Maine, not lost on any learning. So later in that trip, we, we came to the last little Airbnb that we rented and where we concluded our stay. And it was on the bay coast of a place called Booth Bay Harbor, just a lovely place. And so we went, one of our first walks that Ronnie and I went on, we, the, most of the coast of this particular bay was just rocks. The, the, the beach was rocks. And so we were walking and we began to kind of notice there were these little, little stacks of rocks. I, I think I have a picture of them. Yeah, just little stacks of rocks, like everywhere. Like the more you look for them, the more you see. They kind of blend in. And so I, I love those so much. Immediately just figuring out how to get down onto the beach so that I could walk up closer to them. Loved walking up close to them. I felt like I was in somebody else's memory at that point, you know, just in their space and just kind of sharing it with them. And so naturally, as we, after my brother and sister-in-law came down and we decided that we would, I needed to show them to, the, to them. And so we very, very naturally created our own stack of rocks. And there we are, the Happy Morning Clan building rock stacks on the coast of Maine. It was so much fun. All these stones, you know, uh, what can we take? What can we take from the thought of them? You know, in the days of Joshua, these memorial stones were to serve as a reminder to future generations of Israel's faith in God and God's faithfulness to them. Now, the purpose of these stones, these memorials, was to preserve a memory, not to just look back, but so that future generations can find their way forward. All, we all need them, memorial stones of our faith. These stones of our faith serve to remind us that God is faithful in times when our lives might seem otherwise out of control or just we're fearful. Memorial stones are the memories that we have of times when God moved mighty in our lives. They serve to strengthen our faith in times of fear and doubt and uncertainty, and even in our times of joy, great celebration, when the impossible meets the improbable. You know, we need memorial stones in our lives, and it's said our lives themselves are memorial stones. They sang of it in the song this morning, build me, build me as of a brick 
to do the work of your kingdom, to build your kingdom. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 says, Come to him as a living stone. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. He goes on to say in Peter, he says, And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. You know, as living stones, our lives and our church should be a living memorial and a legacy of grace of God's faithfulness in our lives. As a living memorial, our lives speak long after our lives are gone, don't they? For generations to come, living proof of a loving God in a watchful world. Wonder what we're doing to preserve and sustain in the hearts of our children the knowledge of God. What are we doing to keep them mindful of his faithfulness? And what are we teaching them that will build into their value system a reverence for God and a confidence in this world, in his world? You know, in Matt's book, the study we're about to dive into, our Advent study, The Heart That Grew Three Sizes, he talked of finding faith in the, he's, it, the whole book is about finding faith in the story of the Grinch. Matt's so good about that, at taking contemporary writings and aligning them with the Word of God. And so next week, the sermon series is going to begin, and I glanced at that first chapter. It's so good. If you don't have your book already, they're available. They're out in the, at the visitor's desk, and uh, take one home with you. And I'm going to quote him. It's, a, it's on page 39 if, you, if you're interested. I'm going to quote him, and I told him that I would, that uh, something that he said. It said, what does our life, and I'm going to parentheses, this is me, as a living stone, what does our life as a living stone communicate about God, and what are the distorting things about our life that need redeeming? And then he says, we find peace with ourselves if we, when we find peace with ourselves, we will begin to find peace with one another. Isn't that so true? And then he goes on to say this. He says, the, the light, the light, capital L, offers peace. It offers a different path, maybe a marker, maybe a cairn, if you will allow it to show you, to show us the way, a marker to our path. Those are my words. The light offers peace. And so, you know, God sees power. He sees power and potential in just a little old pile of stones. God knew that we would forget. And it, it's proven over and over again in the Bible. So he is intentional always in helping us, the Israelites, to remember. I read a great article uh, called Forgetfulness. Truly the enemy of faith. This is a guy named Sam Storms. He's at uh, Bridgeway Church, uh, I think in Tennessee. You know, the Bible's got a lot to say about remembering, doesn't it? You know, you, you have much in Scripture about not forgetting what has gone before. We, we read it all the time. But, you know, the difference for us as we take that in and those words abide in us, the difference for us as Christians is this, is that we don't remember or reminisce out of some desire to return to the days gone by, for me at least, heavens no. But to relive the years of, or to relive the years of our childhood, remembering isn't, the pur isn't for the purpose of complaining that things are now worse than they were then. In biblical remembering is to remind us that the God who acted back then is the very same God that acts now. In other words, remembering is not designed to transport you back to the past. Remembering is to prepare you and equip you and encourage you for the future. I just don't think there's any better illustration of this than what we find in Joshua 4. One of faith's most devastating enemies is forgetfulness, and one of faith's most powerful allies is our memory. 
just a couple of points on that just to first of all we are commanded we're commanded to remember God's ways and act and deeds and order to overcome discouragement and hopelessness. A great example of this in Psalm 77, there's this guy named Asaph. He wrote Psalm 77 and he was deeply confused. He was struggling with doubts. He was wondering aloud whether God really loved him, whether God really cared, whether God was ever, ever going to draw near to him again. And how does he emerge from this pit of depression and delusionment? He remembers. He consciously calls to mind who God is and what God has done in verses 11 through 15 in that Psalm 77, he says this, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work, meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. You, with you, it is your arm that you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So lots of action verbs there. Remember, ponder, meditate. So Asaph, he isn't just passively waiting for God to renew his faith. He takes action. He plots out a strategy and then he pursues it. He fights to regain his faith. And second, we're commanded to remember in order to fuel our worship and love for God and gratitude for all that he's done. Psalm 103, where David wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of our iniquities, who heals all of our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Now, you know, when David's preaching here and when he's writing these words, he's not talking to other people. He's actually talking to himself. If you were going to take a word picture on that, it's just like David has taken his soul right into his hands and he is just speaking to it. He's saying, don't forget all the things God did. Don't forget the multitude of his benefits. Don't forget how he has forgiven all your sins. Don't forget that he is the God who heals your diseases. Don't forget that he has redeemed your life from the pit. Don't forget that he crowns you with his steadfast love and showers you with his mercy when all that you deserve was death and hell. Don't forget that he alone can satisfy you with good and renew your youth like the eagles. Using the memorials in your life, whatever they look like, Memorials can be notes written in the margins of your Bible. They can be sitting on a shelf. They can be a rock in your garden, a coin in your pocket, a cross in your pocket. They can be used to remind you when God showed up powerfully to save you, to deliver you, and to encourage you. Those times when he spoke powerfully to you and showed you his kindness in Christ. Mark those times. Preserve them. Save the objects. Establish monuments and memorials, well, at least in your mind or on a shelf, like Joshua did, so that in the future years, when you return with your children, you can be reminded and remind them of what God tells you about that. Sometimes it's just like those Christmas ornaments that you take out that you got 25 years ago when your kids were two and you hang them on the tree and you remind them about that great Christmas. You know, we're, we're living stones our lives, our memorial stones, and sometimes we have to be willing to just look at things, look at our trials, and remember that we can be freed to move forward 
become markers to help us blaze the trail forward. When we do this, then our burdens, our joys, our memories, they form, they strengthen, and they propel us forward. You know, it's then that we can take those heavy stones, those boulders that were once just perfectly inaccessible to us. Now they're boulders that we can supernaturally pick up. We can stack them on top of each other and allow God to form you. These times and these memorials become what Matt has referred to, thin spaces. Even as thin as the space between the rocks where heaven and earth meet, and we see God and we know that we're going in the right direction. We know who brought us there. We know who is there with us. And we know who continues to go ahead of us. It's Christ, the living stone. It is Christ, the King. Amen. Let us pray.